Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast. That is awesome. Woo! Everybody give me a big yeehaw. Yeehaw. Yeah. Hey, this is the last week of Redneck Band. Thank you guys so much. Nate Gustafson on the harmonica. Nate, thanks so much, man. Um, they just do it. And let me say, most of these guys hate country music. It breaks my heart. But I'm like, thank you for doing it. Um, they do such a great job. Hey, this is our last week of Redneck. If this is your first time to church, let me introduce myself. My name is Justin Graves. Um, I get to be the lead pastor here. And we don't do country music every week or do a series called Redneck every week. Uh, but we hope that you come and check us out ne- next week as well. Um, today, we are finishing up Redneck. And we've got a guest speaker today, Robbie McClure, who... Um, Um, was actually my youth pastor growing up. He was uh, just a huge reason that all this happened. So if you have issues, blame him. Um, But my wife got me too late. But uh, no, really, Robbie was key to me really staying in ministry. Probably he didn't even realize it when he was doing it. But um, in my early college years, I interned with him and Robbie worked me like a dog. I mean, doing all the grunt stuff. Um, And I thought ministry was just about preaching because most of you just think I work on Sundays, but it was all the stuff behind the scenes I had no idea about um, that he just made me do week in, week out, that made me just appreciate everything. I love this guy. So Foundation Church, can you give it up to Robbie McClure this morning as he comes up and speaks and shares from his heart? Thanks, I hope you guys know how lucky you are to have Justin Casey as your pastors. They're amazing. I've told you before, but our, at our, our youth group every year when we talk about who do we want to have come speak for a youth revival or a special night or even in our church, a speaker, we always uh, end up wanting Justin to come because our people just love him. Um, and our teenagers love him, and he's just a nut, man. I mean, who else can talk about Twinkies and hookers and whatever, you know? I mean, he's always... Just the titles of his sermons are awesome. I mean, it's a blast, but I love these guys. Appreciate them. And Shannon and these guys are like one of my favorite worship bands. I look forward to coming here every year and just hearing them lead worship. They do such an awesome job. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy 22, and you might stick a finger in uh, Luke chapter 10. You guys are in the middle of a redneck series. So on the morning, this morning on my way up here, I thought, yeah, I'm going to listen to some of their sermons. And so I listened to the first one, and it was so stinking good. I listened to the second one. And uh, I mean, the sermon on compromise, Justin did the very first week, um, I think it was Slicker and Snot. You guys need to go back and listen to that one again. That was just, that's a great sermon. And then even old Ballard threw down last week. I enjoyed the sermon last week. That was a lot of fun. And I love chasing tornadoes, so I felt right at home right there, you know? I remember when I was in Bible college um, in, in Springfield, Missouri, and... Um, <laughs> Every time there's a tornado, all the Oklahoma kids were like running out to their cars, you know, and all the Pennsylvania kids were hiding out in the basement screaming like sissy girls. And so it was just, uh, that's how you could always tell, but I have always kind of enjoyed that, that, that part of things. So, you know, we, we, we talked about doing redneck and when Justin said, Hey, I'm actually going to be there this year. Cause this is my fourth year, I think to do this and usually they're on vacation. I'm cool to be able to hang out with them today that, uh, 
he told me we're in this series, and so he's, you know, he told me, here's some of the ones we've done before, so just pick something and do it. And so, man, there were just so many out there, you know what I'm talking about? Like so many different ones that you could speak about. I mean, I thought about, you can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't wipe your friends on your saddle. Uh, um, he's so dumb, he thinks Cheerios are donut seeds. <laughs> I'm busier than a one-legged waitress at IHOP. I thought about that, but no, you know, I didn't know about that. I'm having more fun than a tornado in a trailer park. That was another one that came to mind. But there's so many of them that like, uh, you know, a lot of, like Jeff Foxworthy had these words that kind of blend together and he thought, well, you know, they kind of make something. I heard about a preacher the day that walked in to see one of the people at church had a baby. And when he walked up to the glass, the dad was standing there looking at his kid and he said, hey, which one's yours? He said, oh, that's the one back there in the back corner. And he said, really? Little boy. And he said, yeah. I said, what'd you name him? And he said, well, I haven't come up with a name yet. And he said, I need a good Bible name, preacher. Give me one. And the pastor thought for a second. He said, how about Theophilus? And he said, Theophilus? And he said, yeah, yeah. It's the guy in the Bible. You know, they wrote the book of Luke to it. Luke, Luke wrote Luke and Lacks to a guy named Theophilus. And he said, really? Theoph Where did you get the name Theophilus? He said, because that's the awfulest looking kid I've ever seen in my life. So anyway, but that's not, you can't do that to people, right? Uh, Jeff Foxworthy said, there's one called Aorta. Y'all ever heard Aorta? Aorta, cut that grass next door before I have to call the city on them, right? Initiate. My wife ate three cheeseburger, two bags of chips, and then she ate four Twinkies, right? <laughs> well, well, the very first blue-collar comedy tour had a word that I liked. It was called Widgetidja. Widgetidja. Some of you probably remember that one. It works like this. You didn't bring your truck, Widgetidja. All right? <laughs> And what that meant was, if you got a truck, I might need to borrow it and do something with it. And I am the proud owner of a Ford F-150 truck. It's an old beat-up thing. It's got 167,000 miles on it. And I've taken it deer hunting. It's beat-up, dense all... I think there's a dent in every part of the truck. And um, it, it, it's just, you know, stains in the seats and all that stuff. But, but, but unfortunately, because I own a truck, people ask me all the time, Hey, uh, you didn't bring your truck with you, did you? I said, well, that's kind of a loaded question. What's that mean? Well, I need to go pick up a refrigerator or a washer and dryer. I'm moving next week and we need to, and I need to pull a trailer. And, and it's all the time people wanting to borrow my stuff. And, and so when I thought about that and I read this verse, it kind of hit me. This is Deuteronomy 22, verse 1 through 4. And the New English translation says, when you see your neighbor's ox or sheep going astray, do not ignore it. You must return it without fail to your neighbor. If the owner does not live near you and you don't know who the owner is, then you must corral the animal at your house and let it stay with you until the owner looks for it and then you must return it to him. You shall do the same to his donkey, his clothes, anything else, his iPod, whatever your neighbor lost, and you have found. And then he says this, you must not refuse to get involved. When you see your neighbor's donkey or ox along the road, do not ignore it. Instead, you must be sure to help the animal get back on its feet again. You must not refuse to get involved. I'll be honest with you. I wanted to get a bumper sticker that says, this is my truck. Yes, this is my truck. And no, I will not help you move. But when I read that verse, I thought, wait a minute, that's just not biblical because biblically, biblically I am supposed to help people. I must not refuse to get involved. In fact, the word there, the word he uses about that actually means to hide yourself. In the Hebrew, it really reads, when your neighbor has a problem, don't hide. 
Don't go hide somewhere so they can't find you or, or ask you or be able to help you to get some help, you know, and I appreciate that. I mean, I've lost animals before, and, you know, we all, we all have dogs, and they get out. My family, we used to have, like, a petting zoo at the house. We had three dogs and a cat, and little kids would come over, and we'd charge them money, you know, to hang out with our kids because it was like the petting zoo, but I had a, a Labrador retriever, a chocolate lab, and she was awesome. Her name was Hershey, but she was blind. She had went blind, and it was sad, you know, she'd get excited when I came home and run into stuff, but... Um, one time she got out. She got out and our other little Sheltie dog got out and uh, they just took off down the street. And we got a call from a neighbor a little bit later because they had dog tags and said, hey, do you have a Labrador retriever? And yeah, is it chocolate? Yeah, is it blind? I said, uh, yeah, why? Because it's standing in the middle of the road and it won't move. It won't, you know, it's like so they were trying to get it to lead it out of the way and it, it didn't know where it was. And I appreciated them calling me because my dog was helpless, you know. And uh, just the other day I was out in my front yard and there was a dog running around the neighborhood and I noticed it had a collar and it came to me and I looked at it and it was is my neighbor three doors down and so I took it down there and handed it off to them and that's kind of what this this verse is talking about it's talking about the implication is that an animal that's just left to roam and if they've lost their oxen or their donkey or their chicken or something if it's just out running around you know either something's going to eat it or it's going to get ran over by a chariot or something bad's going to happen to it somebody may steal it or whatever and so the neighborly thing to do was to help them and so we help them out of compassion for the animal because we actually care about the animal I mean there's nothing wrong with caring about animals, right? The Bible says in Proverbs 12:10, a righteous man cares for his beast. So it's okay to, to care about animals and stuff like that. But secondly, we help them out of compassion for the owner because we know that like these guys were farmers, man. You lose a couple sheep or you lose a, one of your prize bulls or something, then you could be hurting financially. It could be just a bad situation for that family. And so because you care, you want to be a good neighbor. In fact, the Bible teaches that if you're really a truly religious person, a Christian person, you should be a neighbor, a good neighbor. In fact, it says in James 1:27, pure religion is to care for widows and orphans in their misfortune and to keep yourself unspotted by the world. Luke 6:31 says you should do unto others as you would what? Have them do unto you. Treat people like you want to be treated. 1 Corinthians 10:24 says don't seek your own good, but the good of your neighbor. And Galatians 5.14 says the whole law is fulfilled in one word statement. You should love your neighbor as yourself. So I got thinking about that. You know, I was thinking about that verse and I was kind of reading through that and it challenged me and it made me think of a story in Luke chapter 10, which we all call the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a lawyer that comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked the guy kind of back because Jesus always answered questions with questions. I like that about him. He wasn't the answer guy. He wanted you to search and figure it out for yourself. So he asked this guy, you know, what, uh, what he thought it was. And he said, well, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, yep, correct. You said correctly. And then the guy, the Bible says, wanted to justify himself. So what he said was this. He said, well, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And so in verse 30, Jesus says this. He says, there was a man going down to Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves and robbers. And they stripped, stripped him and they beat him and they went away leaving him half dead. <laughs> it's just funny, half dead. I don't know. What, like, how do you, like, like, he's half alive too, kind of, sort of. So what does that mean? Like, he's half dead. And by chance, a priest was going by on the road. And that's good news, because the priest is a preacher, right? He's going to help the guy out. So this priest comes by on the road, and he passed by on the other side. 
Likewise, a Levite. A Levite, the difference was a priest taught the law. A Levite's the guy that copied it down. He translated the Bibles and kept making versions for people to have, you know, other copies of it. A Levite comes by, and when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan... Now, if you're a Jew, you didn't like Samaritans. They were half-breeds. When all the Jews were dispersed, they're the ones that married all these people from these other lands. They weren't pure Jews, and they didn't like them. So Jesus said, by chance, a Samaritan who was on his journey came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds and poured oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. He even spent the night on the next day, he took out two denarii, denarii is one day's pay, so basically two days wages, and he gave it to the motel guy, and he said, take care of him, and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man that fell among the robbers? What's the obvious answer? The Samaritan. Not the priest, not the Levite. The Samaritan was a good neighbor. And then Jesus says this, you go and do the same thing. And so... I want to challenge you. The, the, the Bible says we must not refuse to get involved, that we should be good neighbors as Christian people. And so I want to look just a little bit at this story about why um, we don't get involved, all right? Jesus tells them this story because he wants them to go and do the same thing this Samaritan guy did. You know, whether it's a real story, we don't know. But the bottom line is there's a lot of us that we need to be more involved than we really are. But there's always reasons we don't get involved. I mean, most of us are involved in something. It's just maybe Maybe we're not involved in the right things. And so Jesus challenges us with this story about taking care of other people, being a good neighbor to other people. So let me give you four reasons why people tend to not get involved. The first one is this, is because getting involved takes initiative. Getting involved takes initiative. In verse 33, it says, this man felt compassion for the guy that he saw in the ditch and he went over to him. See, the priest came by and he saw him in the ditch, but he was going somewhere. I don't know what his deal was. He just kept going. The Levite came by, he saw the guy and he moved to the other side of the road and he went right by him. But when this Samaritan saw him, there was something inside him that challenged him, that moved him so that he took the initiative and he went over to help this guy. And I believe with all of my heart that Christians ought to be the people that go, first. All right? I mean, this is redneck, right? Somebody said, you might be a redneck if you've ever had a relative die after saying, hey, y'all watch this, okay? But we ought to be the people that go first, the daredevils that go, you know what I'm saying? Jesus gave us that example. Jesus left heaven. I mean, he was in heaven. Think about it. He was cush job, right? He laid around, just commanded things to happen, sent lightning down, hit stuff. I mean, he just had nothing to do. He was in heaven hanging out, but he left all of that to come to this earth, to put skin on, to live like you and me, and to give his life as, as a ransom for you and I. He was the one that took that initiative. He didn't do it because we were good enough. He didn't do it because we were special. The Bible says that even while we were sinners, Christ came and he died for us. And he took that initiative. Luke 19, 10 says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. See, I believe as Christians, we ought to be the ones that make the first move. When a visitor comes to church, they shouldn't have to look for somebody or try to figure out what's going on. We go to them first and introduce ourselves and say hi. When there's people that are hurting, we don't wait for them to ask for help. We go and we volunteer our help. We take the first step. We reach out to other people. Why? Because we have compassion. See, there's a difference between pity and compassion. 
We all have seen people on street corners and we felt sorry for them or people on TV and we felt sorry for them. But there's a difference between pity and compassion. Pity says, man, that's bad. I hate what they're in. Compassion says, you know what? I need to do something about that. The disciples felt pity for the 5,000 people out on the side of the hill that Jesus was preaching to. There's 5,000 men, women, and children. We, we don't know. Maybe 10 to 15,000 people there. Jesus is preaching for a long time, right? It's the middle of the day. It's hot and nasty, and everybody's sweating like pigs. And finally, it's about getting dark. And the disciples, they feel pity for these people. So they said, Jesus, listen, man, you've been preaching a long time. This place stinks. There's not any good restaurants around here. It's getting dark. We need to let these people go, you know, shut the service down and send them on their way so they can get something to eat and get back home before it gets dark. And Jesus, he didn't just feel pity for him. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. He looked at him like they were a bunch of sheep without a shepherd. And you know what he said? I got a better idea. Why don't you guys feed them? You take care of them. And see, that's the difference between pity and compassion. Pity says, go ahead and take care of yourself. I'm praying for you, brother. Compassion says, hey, how can I help you? What can I do to get in your situation and to make a difference in you? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, the love of Christ compels us. Or it controls us. If we really have the love of God in our hearts, it will push us at times to want to do something for somebody, to want to help somebody. Compassion will push you out of your comfort zone just like it did to Jesus when he left heaven and came to this earth. I think DC Talk used to sing a song called Love is a Verb. Now listen, I, I'm not sure if it's, I mean, there's several songs called Love is a Verb, but when I was in school, I wasn't, you know, I, I have, a, you're either good at math or you're good at science and English. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. How many of you are the science English crowd? You know what I'm talking about? Right. How many of you are the math crowd? Okay, how many of you are good at both, all right? You're the people that got above 30 on your ACT. All right, cool. All right, there's just, I, you know, when I was in school, like, I, I remember it, I, somehow I graduated with no science after eighth grade biology. I'm not sure I've even graduated, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, because I, I never, I, last time uh, I'm sitting in school thinking, I don't know if I'm ever going to use this, this junk again the rest of my life. You know, anybody ever thought that stuff, you know? It's like, Duh. I remember the last time I had to dissect a bullfrog was in eighth grade biology, you know? I've never had to do that again the rest of my life. I remember the job interview and they said, hey, Robbie, we got a two, two pound bullfrog next door. If you can find the gallbladder, the job's that's never happened to me, right? I mean, they spent a whole semester teaching junior high boys how to generate gas. Do you think they really need help with that? All right, seriously. I mean, I remember going to the math class and they said, if A equals B, and I thought, if, if the teacher doesn't know the answer, it's going to be a long year, man, right? I never could figure out what the alphabet was doing in math class anyway. They don't make sense, right? I never went to the store and said, honey, look, the Twinkies are on sale for AB. It's never happened, right? But I'm smart enough to know that a verb is an action word. And if the Bible says, or the, the, we believe that love is, that's exactly what it is. It's an action word. It means to do something, to get involved. 1 John 3.17 says this, if anyone has enough money to live well, but he sees a brother or a sister in need, and he refuses to help them, he asks this question, how could the love of God be in that person? I'm not saying you got to give to everything you see or everything out there. He says if it's a brother or sister, there's other things you don't need to give to. But if there's somebody in this body that is hurting, this body ought to minister to them and help meet that need. If not, how can the love of God be in us? Jesus said we should love each other like he loved us. And he gave us that perfect example. And in fact, he said, everybody's going to know you're my disciples by the kind of car you drive to church. No, he's going to know you're my disciples because you have Mountain Dew in the lobby. No. They're going to know you're my 
disciples because you, 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 you go to church twice a week. No, they're going to know you're my disciples because you love one another. And sometimes people don't get involved because it just takes initiative and they're not really that motivated by the love of God. Secondly, people don't get involved because it's intrusive. Let's be honest, it intrudes on your plans and your, your time. I mean, in verse 34, this guy had to stop. He was going somewhere. The priest and the Levite, they had plans. They were going somewhere and they thought their plans were more important than the guy in the ditch. You can say, well, they didn't see him. The Bible says they saw him and they moved to the other side of the road. But this Samaritan guy gave up his plans. He gave up his agenda because this guy in the ditch needed some help. In fact, he ended up having to stay the night at the hotel and didn't get to go on the rest of his trip until the next day. See, we all have places to go and people to see. I mean, we're dysfunctional. Let's be honest about it, right? I grew up, my family was dysfunctional. I've got two kids. They played all those sports, and we went from dysfunction to that function, all right? We were dysfunctional, all right? We were always busy. Something was always going on, and busyness is a badge of honor almost in our society today, right? I mean, seriously, we t- every time you talk to somebody, they're just busy. Man, when's the last time you asked somebody how you're doing, and they didn't say, oh, I'm tired, I'm worn out? Because that's a badge of honor for us. It means we're doing something, you know. We think if we say, well, you know, I've just been chilling. Everything's been going great. My marriage is awesome. We think they're lazy or something, you know. But I know that when I was uh, a youth pastor, I worked with teenagers for 21 years. That's why I look so old. And uh, I was his youth pastor. you believe that? I'm old, man. I remember when I saw the three amigos at the movie theater. That's how old I am, all right? I mean, when I was born, the Dead Sea was just sick. But anyway, um, But I, you know, we did a lot of youth trips all over. You know, I don't remember the trips that went awesome. You know what trips I remember? Yeah, the ones that everything got screwed up. We had a flat tire. We used to have this demon-possessed people mover that always broke down. We had a special hotline phone, like the president, just to call the deacons when it broke down so they could come rescue us. You know what I'm saying? My very first youth activity at, at, at the bridge in Mustang, we didn't even make it from Mustang to Faith Tabernacle, which is like right just not too far away. We literally broke down at a half mile. You know, it's 150 degrees. We get out. We walk to the church. We all walk in sweating and wet and nasty. Nobody would sit by us. You know, we had to call the hotline. Hey, come rescue us. One time we were coming home from a a drama tour and uh, we got somewhere just outside of Shawnee. We broke down on the side of the road, you know. I remember we had this Cheshire cat costume that we would wear around to do kids ministry. And I I remember getting all the kids off the van and the bus or the two people mover thing and trying to get them off the highway because it's just dangerous. And I turn around and there's a kid with his head out the hole in the roof of the people mover with the Cheshire cat thing on waving at people like, get in the... So we finally get them all off the road. There's a watermelon stand. So we go over to this watermelon stand and I'm buying watermelons and they're hot, which I don't like hot watermelon. And uh, we didn't have anything to cut it up with. The girl that was working the place had a pair of scissors. So I'm like sawing a watermelon open with scissors. But everybody remembers that trip. Why? Because everything went wrong. You know I mean? That's the thing. And I've learned in life, I've learned in ministry that interruptions are my ministry. So many times we have our plan or our agenda, but interruptions are from God and they're our ministry. Proverbs 16, nine says, we can make our own plans, but it's the Lord that determines our steps. And I believe that every day, if we'll pay attention, there are divine appointments that God puts in our way. You just look at Jesus's life. He's just walking down the road. People are all around crowding in on him and he looks up in a tree and sees a little short dude named Zacchaeus and he stops the whole thing. And it's an interruption. He ends up just, I don't know where he was going, but he didn't go there that night because he went to Zacchaeus' house and ate. I think it's just stories like that where he's going one time outside Jericho and he hears somebody yell, son of David, have mercy on me. 
And he just keeps walking and everybody's pushing around on him. And this guy keeps screaming. Finally, they're like, shut up, man. Leave the Lord alone. He's got some place to go. And, and he just screams even louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. And so finally Jesus stops and it's the story of blind Bartimaeus and he heals the guy. It was an interruption. Eating the feeding of the 5,000. You know, we read that story. What happened after that story? Do you remember the disciples get on a boat, start going across the Sea of Galilee, have a storm. They're scared to death. They're going to die. Jesus comes walking on the water. That whole story happened. You know why they were on the lake at two o'clock in the morning? Because they had an interruption earlier that day and had to feed 5,000 people. A guy named Jairus says, Lord, can you heal my daughter? She's 12 and she's sick and she's about to die. Jesus says, yeah, let's go fix it. But on his way there, a little woman crawls through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment and he stops and says, who touched me? And they're like, what are you talking about? Everybody and their dog's touching you. You know, and he's like, no, 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 somebody touched me. I felt the power of God. And the, I, I just picture the crowd parts and there's a little lady there and she's like, oh. And he's like, you touched me? And it's like, uh, yeah. And she tells the story, you know, yeah, I touched you and I got healed. I've been sick for 12 years. And, and they had this awesome time. Everybody shouts and praises the Lord. Shannon breaks out in a song. It's awesome. And then some guy comes up and says, the Jairus is one of his servants says, hey, you don't need to bother Jesus anymore. Your daughter died. She died because Jesus took too much time in this interruption. But Jesus went ahead and fixed it anyway, amen? See guys, listen, every time you have an interruption in your life, I just want to challenge you to stop and look at it because usually it's a great opportunity for ministry. Getting involved can be intrusive. It can also be an investment. This guy spent two days wages to pay for this guy to get him well. And not only that, he signed his name on the dotted line on a blank check and said, hey, if you need more, let me know when I come back. And so, you know, everybody wants your money these days. Have you noticed that? <laughs> everybody wants your money. I mean, every street corner I go to, there's somebody there with a sign, you know, that says they need help or they need food or they need this or they're lost or whatever. Every time, I, I don't like going to Walmart anymore because every door has somebody selling Girl Scout cookies or a baseball team or crosses or this or that. There's just all the time, even at restaurants now, when you go to a restaurant, when you pay your bill with the little thing on the table, it asks, do you want to donate such and such to this and that? And it's just everybody, even you go to church and they take a stinking offering, right? <laughs> it's like everybody wants your money. But can I tell you, investing is money. It's your time. It's your effort. And ministry it costs like that. I spent all day yesterday downtown at a church where uh, our, we finally bought a building for one of our camp, campuses, our churches that's been going about two years. And we were downstairs all day long in this basement yesterday. It's hot and muggy and nasty and my hands cramping because I'm cutting metal studs off at the right length. And it was a long day. It, that's effort. It takes time. Matter of fact, something else, it takes your attention. Phil Cook said the most valuable commodity in this day and time is undivided attention. When was the last time you talked to somebody and they didn't look at their phone while you were talking to them? Or you sat down at a dinner table. I got, a, I got an idea for you. Listen to me. Next time you go to eat with some people, make everybody stack their phones in the middle of the table and whoever answers their phone or touches their phone first has to pay the bill. All right, there you go. <laughs> but the fact is, it is. It's an investment for all of us. And, and so what, but, 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 but it's okay to give and be involved in things. Listen to what the Bible says. I, I just want to give you some scripture. Proverbs 19, 17, when you help the poor, you are lending to the Lord. Did you hear that? When you give to the poor, you are lending to the Lord and he will repay you. 
Luke 6, 34, when you lend money only to those who can repay you, what good is that? Even sinners do that. So if sinners give money to people that can repay them, what do Christians do? They give money to people who can't repay them, like orphanages in Africa and stuff like that. Matthew 5, 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, give them your coat also. If they ask you to go one mile, go two miles. If they um, ask of you, he says, give to him who asks of you, don't turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. You know, folks, I'm sorry, that's what the Bible says is, is that we shouldn't hold on to things too tightly. We are just stewards on this earth. And God has called us to be good stewards. We don't own any, anything. None of this is gonna last anyway. Proverbs eleven twenty four 24 says there's one person who gives and he gets more. There's another person who's stingy and he goes broke. That doesn't make any sense, but it does if you understand God, because with God, giving is a way to get more. You know, the only reason, Justin said it a minute ago with tithing, the only reason we preach on that is because those of you that tithe know it's awesome watching God meet your needs and do crazy things. Money coming in envelopes, people showing up and doing things. Yes, I have no idea. It's a fun adventure. And the fact is we know what it does for people. And we know that the Bible, the kingdom of God, everything in life works on, on looks or money or talent or ability. The kingdom of God works on faithfulness. God gives you a little bit, and if you're faithful with that and you're a good steward with it, you know what he does? He gives you more. And then he gives you more. And then he gives you more. And so God works that way. And so we have to be good stewards. And, and, and I've learned that your investment usually is in proportion to your commitment. In fact, another redneck saying or somebody's saying is put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> your body's writing checks, your mouth can't keep. Or your mouth's writing checks, your body can't keep. You know what I'm saying? James 2.15, listen to this. Suppose one of you sees a brother or sister in need and they need food and clothing and you say to them, well, goodbye, God bless you. I'm praying for you, brother. Stay warm, eat well. But you don't give them any food or any clothing. What good is that? So you see, it isn't enough just to have faith. Faith that doesn't show itself with good actions is not faith at all. It's just dead and useless. See, uh, in 2000, I remember my dad called me and he said, Robbie, you want to get tickets and let's go to the OU games? And I thought, you know what, this would be a cool opportunity for me to hang out with my dad. So I said, yeah. So we got tickets, season tickets to Oklahoma football in 2000, which was really a pretty good year to get season tickets because <laughs> they won a national championship. But you know what? I, every, that, that's went up quite a bit. It's almost doubled in the price now, but I still do it because one, I do like hanging out with my dad. But at the same time, I enjoy going to the games. I put them all on the calendar. There's things that I schedule around that because I want to be there. I go to some games that just stink, and I go to other games that are amazing. Sometimes it's lousy teams. Sometimes it's the big teams, you know. But, but I've sat in rain. I've sat in snow. I've sat in crazy, crazy heat, you know, where people are, like, passing out, dropping, like, flies all around you. It's, you know, I, I've, I've been there, done it. But I, they can count on me. I'm going to be there. You know why? Because I'm committed to it. I'm a season ticket holder. I've got friends now that, you know, if they don't have nothing to do, they might go to the game, you know, or they'll go if I'll give them my ticket, but they don't want to pay for the ticket, you know, or, or they don't really care to go see South Dakota State, but they would love to go see them play Nebraska or Florida State or somebody like that because they'll go to the big games. But you know what? My friends, they're not, they're not participators, they're spectators. They don't really have all that commitment into the thing, you know, because they've never really made that big of an investment in the thing. And you know what? I've just learned that in church, there are a lot of people that come in on Sundays. So I said, church is like football. It's 20 guys in desperate need of rest being watched by 20,000 in desperate need of exercise. 
But too many times in church, it's the same 20 people that do everything. They're the grizzly greeters, the visitors, they work in the kids' department, they help with the youth, they make the posters, they stand outside in the parking lot, you know, they make the coffee, they clean up after everybody's gone. The rest of the team comes in on Sundays and says, yeah, team, go, praise the Lord, and then we leave. And so I just want to challenge you this morning, if you've been spectating, would you just go ahead and cross the line today and become a season ticket holder? Would you make that investment because there's a commitment there in your life? Because I'm going to tell you, ministry and getting involved is an investment. Not only that, lastly, not, but it's getting involved is inconvenient. Just be honest with you, it's a whole lot easier just to come sit soaking sour. That's why they call them pews. <laughs> but this guy, literally, when he gets this guy out of the ditch, he gets off his donkey and he puts this guy on it and then walks to town, all the way to town, taking care of this guy. Now, I never really saw this because my mind's not warped like Justin's, but Justin just said it in the first service. Some of you need to get off your donkey. And that's the NIV version. I could tell you what the King James says, but I probably will get kicked out. But anyway. But if you're waiting for the perfect day to come to get off your donkey, it's never going to come. In fact, the Bible says, he who watches the wind and reserves the days and waits to sow his seed on the perfect day, you'll never sow your seed. I see people all the time, Rob, I just can't find time to do my devotions. Yeah, that's because you make time. You don't find time. And all of us have got to learn there's just never going to be a perfect day. Tomorrow is only a day on a fool's calendar. Proverbs 3.27 says it this way. It says, do not withhold good from those who deserve it. When it's in your power to help them, if you can help your neighbor today, don't say come back tomorrow. Do it now. Do it right now. You know, in the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about the guy that goes out and sows the seed, and the seed is the word of God. And there's four different kinds of hearts that seed landed on. One of them was a, a path that was hard, and the birds ate it and was gone. One of it was a rocky soil, and the seed fell on it, and it couldn't really get a good root, and it wasn't consistent, and it died. The last seed was good soil, and it grew and produced a harvest. But the third seed place where it landed was a thorny area. And it says that the thorns choked the seed and it, it didn't die. It doesn't say that. It says it was unfruitful. And in, in, in Mark chapter 4 verse 19, it says the thorns represent the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. See, the bottom line is some people are so tied up in stuff they're unfruitful. They don't really do a whole lot for the Lord because we're too busy with other things. We're too busy with the worries of this life, always going somewhere, doing something, all these things that we got to get done. Or we're worried if we get involved, you know, then they're going to want more out of us and they're going to want more involvement. And then pretty soon we're not going to have any time to do our own stuff. And so we don't want to get involved because it's going to take too much of our, our stuff out of the way. Or we're, we're, we're it's the, the desire for riches. Or, you know, I, I, we'd see teenagers all the time, Robbie, I need to get a job because I can't afford to go to camp. Okay. So they'd get a job and then they couldn't go to camp. You know why? because they had a job. They couldn't get off work to go. And I see people that are, you're make, you're, you know, you're trying to buy things you don't need with money you don't have to impress people you don't even like. But you're so busy working all the time that you're losing your family and your kids and you're not involved in church and you're not doing anything at church. You're unfruitful. Or we're too busy just chasing our own dreams, the desire for other things that we don't have time for God's dreams for our lives. See, the bottom line with that story is to the Samaritan, the other guy was more important than he was. To the priest, what he was doing was more important. To the Levite, what he was doing was more important. But to the Samaritan, the other guy was more important than himself. Which is what Philippians 2, 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition, 
but consider others better than yourself. The Message Bible says it this way, don't push yourself to the front, but put aside yourself and help others get ahead. See, guys, listen, it's not about us. It's about them. You know, you guys say around here, find, found people, find people. It's true. This service today is really not about us. I mean, it's time for us to encourage each other, pray for each other, but really it's about what we do when we walk out of the doors. Outside these doors, it's about them. It's not about right now, it's about then. <laughs> it's about one day we'll stand before God and have to answer for what we did while we were in our bodies here on this earth, our souls. We'll have to answer to God. And so what is more important than people? If you really stop and think about it, I love your building. I love what you guys have done with this place. It's really cool. But there's a lot of neat stuff in here. There's cool instruments. There's microphones, screens, projectors, lights. All of you guys are sitting out here. You're awesome. You got great cars in the parking lot. You know, you've got beautiful chairs and clothing and watches and stuff. But can I just tell you, none of it's going to last. There's only two things in this world that are going to last forever. One is the Word of God, the Bible, and the other one is people, the souls around you. And if we are eternally minded, we need to invest our time and our energy in the Word of God and in people. That's what this is about, is about those two things. And so that's what Jesus was all about. If you really stop and think about it, now I'm done. Being unselfish really is a mark, to me it's a mark of maturity. When my, you know, my, I've got two kids. I have a daughter that's been in Peru for the last nine weeks in the jungle. She's an amazing kid. I have a son that's an engineer that lives in, Tal in uh, Oklahoma City, been, been married and just got his first little dog. My wife, she's going nuts with this grand puppy. I'm like, we get a, they ever have a baby, you're, I'm gonna have to you're, move out, you're crazy. Anyway, <laughs> but the mark I always looked for in my kids was when they started thinking about other people more than they thought about themselves. To me, that's maturity. You know, I was a selfish person. I got married and learned out how selfish I really was. But you know what? As I've gotten older, I've become more mature because I think about my wife and my kids and other people a whole lot more than I think about myself. That's maturity. Jesus was the ultimate example of unselfishness. And can I just tell you the goal of being a Christian shock you here is not to go to heaven if the goal of being a Christian was to go to heaven then when you got saved God kill you and take you take you there he leaves you here you know why because the goal of being a Christian is to become like Jesus so people can see Jesus in you so what does that mean what is Jesus like you think about it what it what Jesus's eyes they always saw the best in people nobody liked Zacchaeus but Jesus saw something good in him Jesus' ears heard the needs of people. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times I, I, I can hear needs and I don't want to listen to them, so I act like I didn't hear them and just keep walking. Jesus' heart broke for people. His mind was always on eternal things. Jesus' hands, you know what it did? It touched lepers. It touched people. His feet were always in the middle of the will of God. And every time there was a divine interruption, he didn't mind it because he knew it was a chance for ministry. If you and I are going to be like Jesus, that's what this is about. See, getting involved means a lot of divine appointments are going to come your way and they're going to be intrusive. They're going to be an investment. They're going to be an interruption into your day. They're going to be inconvenient. But the question Jesus said is, who's my neighbor? Who's the neighbor? And you and I are called to be good neighbors, to minister to people. And so who is your neighbor? It's whoever God puts in front of you. 
that has a need. And we can minister to them. You must not refuse to get involved. Don't hide. Some of you have been hiding here in this church. It's time that you come out of hiding and you get involved. You quit being a spectator that goes, you know, if everything's cool and you become a season ticket holder. Be part of the team. There was a guy named Fred McFeely Rogers that got sick of the way television programming was, so he started writing for a, a local TV syndicate there with a little show they did in town. And, and pretty soon they asked him just to do the show. And so he started doing the show and it did so well that they ended up hiring him and, and pro processing the thing nationally. And it became what we know as Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. A lot of you remember that and you grew up on it, I did. And, and when Mr. Rogers died a few years ago, he's actually a Presbyterian preacher. He had credentials, but he won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He had over 40 honorary degrees. He uh, won the Peabody Award. He was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame. And uh, in fact, he is listed as one of the top, in the 35th most recognizable name person in TV in all time. There's buildings and artwork named after him all over Pennsylvania. And his little red sweater that he put on every day on the show when he came in, one of those is hanging in the Smithsonian Institute as a treasure of American history. But if you know Mr. Rogers' show, it always started with him walking in, taking his coat off. He put his sweater on. He sat down, put his shoes on. And the whole time he was singing a song that he actually wrote that said, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? And there's a world out there, folks looking for a good neighbor and that's you and me and we must not refuse to get involved getting involved is going to take initiative that's motivated by compassion it's going to take it can be intrusive but interruptions are great opportunities for ministry it's going to take involvement and investment of your time and your effort and your attention and your resources and your energy and your money and it's going to be inconvenient but if we really believe other people are more important than us, then we won't mind. Getting involved is the neighborly thing to do. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you moved from your street to our street and you walked among us and you lived for us and you laid your life down for us. We're all enjoying the benefits today of salvation, God, but, but, but found people find people. Lord, I just pray that we would not hide in our seats any longer, but God, we would come out and we would be what you want us to be. Lord, we don't have to have talent, ability, all those things. The Bible says to know the love of God is better than knowledge. Just to be able to love people in the name of Jesus, that makes all the difference in the world. So Lord, speak to our hearts and challenge us today. With your head's bowed and your eyes closed real quick. If you're here, and uh, maybe today... Um, you just say, Robbie, it's time for me to stop hiding and to get involved. God's speaking to my heart. He's dealing with me about that. Would you just look up and look at me and say, that's me. He's talking to me today. I need to get involved. I need to find a place and plug in in ministry. Start giving so that I can make room for God to give me more. And he will do that in your life. Thank you guys so much. Again, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, how many here this morning would be awesome enough to say, Robbie, I've been hiding from God. I'm not where I need to be with him. Maybe you come to church all the time. Maybe this is your first time. But you'd be honest enough to admit this morning you don't have a relationship with him. You're not on your way to heaven. And before you leave today, you're ready to become part of this family of God. You want to know what it feels like to be part of a family and have the love of God in your life. 
and that it'll change you and make everything different. If that's you this morning, say, Robbie, I want to know Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. I want to pray with you. Would you just slip a hand up and say, that's me. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Thank you. Who else would say, that's me? I need to know him this morning as my Savior. Thank you. I want to walk with him. Have a relationship with him. If you just raised your hand, I want to pray with you this morning. Just pray this prayer with me. We're just going to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins and to come into our heart and change our lives and make a commitment to follow him. Pray with me. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe that you died for my sins. And I confess today that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to wash them all away, and to come live in my life take over my life and change me. I need salvation. And I thank you that you made the price for me. So forgive me today and save me. And I make a commitment to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning and you meant it, then I want you to know Jesus just wrote your name down in heaven and you're on your way to heaven. Now, that's not enough. you got to grow. You need to keep growing to get plugged in this church, and they'll help you with that in a minute. We're going to have a prayer team down here. I'd, I'd encourage you to come down here and let somebody know. And today, if you looked up at me and said you need to get involved, go get one of these cards. Save people, serve people. Get plugged in and let God begin to use you and work through you because he's gifted you to do something nobody else can do. So do your part. Amen. God bless you. Awesome. Let's give it up for Robbie. Thank you so much, Robbie. Awesome, awesome job. He's awesome. I'm so glad. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at Nicole at foundationschurch.tv.